my name's Larry Stafford and you are listening to Hello High Water, a Finisterre podcast exploring the depths of our oceans and the resilience of the human spirit. Hello and welcome back. A bit of a milestone one as we hit episode 20 of the Hello High Water podcast, for which we are joined by none other than Bonnie Wright, actor, director, activist and now author. For anyone who isn't familiar with Bonnie, you may be more so with one of her former characters, the role of Ginny Weasley she played in the Harry Potter film series. An odd one for this show, perhaps? Well, hear me out. Since then, Bonnie has gone on to direct a number of short films under her own production company, stand up for our land and ocean as an ambassador for both the Rainforest Alliance and Greenpeace, and more recently published her first book under the title of Go Gently, Actionable Steps to Nurture Yourself and the Planet. Within its pages, the book serves as an inspiring and approachable tip-filled guide to changing your habits, living more sustainably, and taking action. With a strong connection to the ocean, having grown up between London and the south coast of England, Bonnie now lives in Southern California, where she again is able to balance her love of the sea with an urban environment where work and the film industry is. Pitched up in her garden oasis, surrounded by the homegrown fruit and veg, we've covered just about everything on her impressive resume. The power of film, documentary and storytelling, how to responsibly utilise social media and its application to the climate movement, Bonnie's personal journey into activism and her work as a Greenpeace ambassador and the conversation of climate anxiety, a term that we're hearing a lot of right now. So let's get right to it. Episode 20 of Hella High Water with Bonnie Wright. Go gently. So we're we're in San Diego. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And you've been down here for the last... Couple of months. Mm -hmm. I mean, properly and officially. Um, But yeah, going back and forth for a while between two cities. Okay. Between here and LA. Between here and LA, yeah. I moved to LA like five years ago. I was in New York for a bit before that. But yeah, I lived in LA, always by the kind of coast. So really where we are now is like a little bit more urban than really the neighborhood I was actually in before. Yeah. I mean, it still feels probably nice in in here, but it's a lot busier, which is kind of nice. I've really enjoyed being somewhere I can walk to everything I need again, which reminds me a bit more of a... And wasn't before? Not so much. It was much more like a car or a bike ride, you know? So yeah, here I can pick up food and coffee and all those things (laughs) in a walking distance. And... um... I mean, obviously, I wanted to dive into all things actually like kind of what you've got going on at the moment and Mm -hmm. the Go Gently narrative and I think your journey into certainly what you're doing now with, Mm -hmm. uh, I guess, that activist stance, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe an activist is... Oh, make sure I don't break this chair. Um, Oh, yeah, sorry. And and, and that, I guess, the current, the the, the climate movement that we're Mm -hmm. in, that you're engaging in and have been for for quite a while now. Mm -hmm. And and, um, so this might meander a bit. Yeah, but it sounds good. Very organic, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I mean, other than the kind of like steady slash kind of rapid decline in in our planet and planetary health and ocean health mm-hmm. and 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 all this stuff, when did you kind of um, when did what first triggered your desire to step up to be a part of this climate conversation, the, 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 the climate movement, matters mm-hmm. of sustainability? Um, yeah, because I know I'm, I'm very aware lots of people are in this space. Mm-hmm. There, there tends to be a very this kind of like a standout moment or a light bulb moment where they've got yeah. okay hold on shit I need to do something yeah I feel like 
sometimes you can pinpoint it and then other times you realize it kind of started long before that pinpoint like that kind of key moment mm -hmm. i think for me i was fortunate and i'm fortunate enough that my parents when i was growing up had a very like they had a respect for kind of what we had and really making the most of what we had and really looking at that kind of kind of quality over quantity kind of mindset i think you know they're both makers they're craftspeople they're jewelry designers and their kind of respect for like materials and like the effort that goes into being made things is really yeah. important yeah and i think we've sort of lost that with how fast we consume things it's kind of just very throwaway mentality and i think a loss of kind of um importance put into the material and effort that went into making that thing that it isn't waste it's actually something you know and i think so that just mentality i think of not being wasteful and respecting kind of the things i interacted with came from quite a young age um and then i think for me you know i've always my favorite place to be is by the beach and by the coast and so i was seeing sort of firsthand in the course of my life already it being kind of more and more polluted and sort of just being like how is this happening like what how can i be how can i get involved and like what systems aren't working that you know rubbish and different things are ending up mm -hmm. on our beaches like what part do i play and what parts are like kind of system and government uh issues as well like that kind of individual collective duality of the way you approach anything um and so i began to be more and more concerned more and more sort of curious as to like understanding everything that was happening but i think a real like turning point moment for me that actually made me like double my kind of curiosity and like energy and like somewhat kind of frustration and anger to the situation mm -hmm. was going on a ship with greenpeace in yeah. 2017 or 18 i forget now and that was they were just doing a tour down the atlantic coast to coastal communities or down the coast of america um with different issues into each coastal town so i just joined them for the kind of last section but during that trip we kind of trawled for microplastics and they had been trawling for the entire like two month trip and you know that just meant like dropping a net down having it kind of drag behind the boat for an hour pulling mm -hmm. it up and sort of scientifically looking at what each of those things were being pulled up and yeah. So data collection a lot. Yeah, data it? collection and yeah. and so it was seeing that firsthand when you look at this vast beautiful ocean that looks crystal clear and beautiful mm -hmm. and pulling up plastics and them saying not one of their trawls did not pull up something. Mm -hmm. And that's just one ship, one tiny bit that their boat was dragging on for two months. You know, yeah. that's just tiny scale in a very vast problem, but suddenly it made this kind of issue that sometimes is quite hard to connect to out at sea, out of the ocean, kind yeah. of really like happen in front of my eyes. So it was that moment and also just being on the ship with all the sort of ocean campaigners and campaigners within Greenpeace and just there like they're just so passionate about yeah. it and so kind of, you know, that like beautiful mix of like anger but also like compassion and hope. Mm -hmm. This kind of like fire that you have in you but also this softness I think you need to have if you're going to commit to that kind of campaigning in the long term. You can't be someone who you know loses hope so just there those people and that trawling just kind of triggered me upon going home you know i need to like make this part of my daily life like yep. cha making changes 
on an individual and collective level, whether that was kind of becoming an advocate for this issue of ocean health with Greenpeace, which I then became an ambassador for them, whether that also meant like individual things that I was doing in my day-to-day -day life to be a bit more part of the change I wanted to see and not just wait for it to happen. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess that was like the proactive shift in me, that trip. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. I spoke a bit about this about this, this mm -hmm. week and like, being reactive mm -hmm. and then being proactive. Yeah. And um, and there's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. In fact, particularly when it comes to cleanup practice and yeah. the way in which um, organizations and foundations mm -hmm. mobilize their staff and what they're dealing with year on year, mm -hmm. and campaign on campaign. And, um, and it's a fine balance, I think, between being reactive all the time yeah. and then being proactive in their approach to, you know, continuously mm -hmm. conserve mm -hmm. an environment, an ocean environment. Okay, well, that's quite, um, yeah, and the, um, I mean, you, you, you mentioned their Greenpeace, obviously recognized for, I mean, how long has Greenpeace been going for now? I feel like since the 70s, yeah. maybe? Yeah. yeah, and it feels like they've got so much momentum and, and expertise, and mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the scientists they employ, it's the volunteers on the programs, yeah. it's the, that passion is, pretty strong throughout and, yeah, but and you I mentioned there about hope as well mm -hmm. that hope's a massive part about it particularly in oh, speaking of like climate anxiety mm -hmm. and where everyone can get I mean I, burnout I think has become a big thing amongst yeah. people who have worked in this field for a number of years the constant challenges and hurdles and so to remain hopeful and to feed yeah. off one another's kind of thing and to that's a huge part of this is it? I mean yeah definitely and I think also like I think what's what challenges me sometimes when people ask that direct question of like you know climate anxiety mm -hmm. or climate but you know burnout and I think there's like two parts of it I think there's like the kind of just the anxiety we can be put under by it constantly sort of being part of the dialogue when you put yourself in these kind of spaces mm -hmm. obviously the dialogue is always about this right if you're really passionate you're in a movement that movement is like consuming yes. so it can be part of your kind of day-to-day -day life but then I think what's important to kind of differentiate always between being part of a movement and being part of a community that's already directly affected by the climate crisis is so important I think to differentiate like for me you know I'm not yet truly directly yet like affected by it like I am not within a community that is in the kind of most affected areas so yeah. I think it's always important to know that there's a massive part of privilege that connects me that protects me from yeah, really I... what that must feel like not just anxiety yeah. but like threat of the climate yeah and so I think it's always an interesting when I've had conversations with people who are already directly affected, it is just always so amazing to hear their like resiliency and hope within mm -hmm. that. And I think it helps you who are equally doing something to be part of it, but just from a different perspective and yeah. like lens. And I think that's why storytelling for me is always like the most interesting way beyond statistics and everything. While we need science and we need those statistics and data collection, I just think there's nothing more powerful than having the ability I have had through kind of the platform I've had to meet certain people mm -hmm. that have totally changed my perspective on the situation because their unique and direct experience of the issue. Yeah. So yeah, and always finding hope in those moments is like, mm -hmm. oh wow, like, you know, and so I think that when faced with my own climate anxiety or kind of burnout, you know, 
when I just remind myself of those people connections I've had, mm-hmm. I like don't, that kind of drifts away. And yeah. I think that's why, you know, when you talk about like organizing and organization and being proactive, I do think that's why the best thing to overcome the being overwhelmed is by finding a community or a group or a someone so you're not just like she shit, at shared, home alone right? yeah yeah and you're like oh yeah everyone's feeling this and this is like you know and you can like find mm-hmm. light in it and humor in it as well you know yeah i've seen the conversations and what you what you put out with your storytelling mm-hmm. and like instant storytelling as well mm-hmm. like the those on the front lines who are, you know, living through some of the hardest kind of moments mm-hmm. of, you know, yeah. immediate climate change. And um, but then also those people who are working within their communities to counter it and to mm-hmm. raise awareness. Yeah. And to and, and storytelling is a huge part of, of that. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's an, I'm, I'm going to hop all over my notes here, but yeah. like um, storytelling and the power of film. Mm-hmm. And I th- I'm trying to reference a few things like um we've seen recently like Earthrise Studios you might mm-hmm. have seen and brilliant series of YouTube stuff mm-hmm. and uh, Seat at the Table stuff that was mm-hmm. a big part of COP last year mm-hmm. um, with, with Jack Harry's and, and Alice Eady and, and then uh, Water Bear Network mm-hmm. and even the success and the kind of awareness that came off the back of films like Seaspiracy yeah. uh, as con- controversial as that was it mm-hmm. put those issues in the public space yeah and it got everybody talking about it it mm-hmm. was in i remember clubhouse the mm-hmm. app launched around the yeah, same yeah, time yeah clubhouse went bonkers about this sea spiracy and you had sustainable fishery folks speaking yeah. to uh, all kinds of people and, and it was but people were talking about it yeah it's great and and that film and kind of like that moving picture mm-hmm. is it's a massive part now of, of the climate movement now so i know your history with film and mm-hmm. you studied film and you part of a big franchise of films mm-hmm. and you've directed your own stuff so yeah what's where's you know where's your head at now with 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 film and that kind of medium for for climate change story yeah i think also like what you know, seaspiracy on a documentary level, as you say, and then obviously more recently, like don't look up from like a more storytelling, yeah, like course, kind yeah. of narrative perspective. Yeah. I think it's just like, again, why it's so powerful to exist within popular culture as mm. film can, is a platform that can just completely intersect through generations, through demographics, through everything. And I think that's what's so great about film, people kind of, escape to it so they like open themselves up in the cinema experience and they become i think what's so fun about it more kind of open and malleable because Mm. you're literally suspended into this story and you sometimes can let down these barriers or boundaries you sometimes have when consuming the news which you're quite like these are my values and this is what i think whereas i think when you watch film you're just like emotively more open and that's what I've enjoyed really as a from an acting perspective and being part of a film from that angle and then also from a directing perspective. And so the last couple of years, it's like taking a break because I was writing my book. But um, two summers ago, I made the I made a short film that was like the first film really that transitioned to intersect like climate crisis issues with my kind of storytelling. So it was a short film that's actually kind of a horror story, but it kind of brings in it's called Consumed and it's basically kind of using kind of horror as a and kind of this unseen monster as a kind of um, metaphor or personification for like our consumption and waste. And that was 
a film that was kind of a stepping stone to this other film that I'm now working on with two writers that um, is kind of a bit of a larger scale feature length film that again is kind of this horror monster idea, but looking at huge issues of kind of, this is looking at like kind of the toxic kind of waste and like runoff that happens from kind of uh, factories essentially mm-hmm. in this kind of coastal town. So, is that like is that clothing industry? Uh, it's actually it? at the moment like it's kind of at the moment it's like construction material okay. more. I mean, okay. it's kind of in a way while it will be something, it kind of there's so many industries that create waste, whether that's through you know dying or whether that's through um, you know kind of mis kind of treated waste, toxic waste, or kind of you know materials as hazardous, um, and so what has kind of been fun for me is playing with something as melodramatic as kind of horror monsters and that kind of world can mm-hmm. be in a very melodramatic issue like the climate crisis but you're suddenly kind of able to just yeah I think the most fun for me is just how do you change someone's perspective of an issue from the beginning to an end to a film okay. and like how much room you have to play there so while I've definitely been interested in documentary, I think my kind of foundation that is within like fictional storytelling yeah. always is like so still to the core of me and I still really want to tell more and be involved in more kind of narrative fictional um, stories, I think, at this moment than kind of the documentary realm of this storytelling, this type of storytelling. Yeah, I guess there's multiple ways to do that, then, mm-hmm. isn't there? Yeah. I forgot you mentioned Don't Look Up There. Yeah. And it was, uh, it speaks to it, of course, doesn't it? Yeah. But it does it in a way that yeah, that's kind, kind of, of transcends that as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah, wow. You, mean, um, you spoke there about waste and consumption and I know that you know obviously we, we come from the clothing industry and mm-hmm. it's um it's something that year on year we try to better our practice and mm-hmm. 20 years on you know we're still learning how to you know clean up our you know our, our processes and the mm-hmm. best people we can work with and supply chain is forever mm-hmm. uh, you know it's a huge issue and I'm not very close to that side of things myself mm-hmm. that's why we have the experts we do and employ them to to do that and work with other experts and leading people in material science and, mm-hmm. and all this but one of the things we're definitely, um, and I think um, a big part of the industry is is to is trying to get to this model of circularity, mm-hmm. and that that integrates everything from waste and virgin material to recycled material, and that that, that and closing that loop. Mm-hmm. Is that something you? I mean, how well versed are you in in that kind of in, in the in the clothing industry, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think for me, because it's something that we all. Yeah, we all touch it intimately every day, clothing, our clothing. It's so often overlooked. Yeah, and I think, again, going back to kind of my, like, that original early on, like, kind of care and interest in materials and Mm. quality over quantity from a childhood kind of level has always been so part of me. You know, I'd prefer to get something that's, and I have the privilege to get something that's a bit more of an investment item, but I know that will last me, you know, a lifetime, not that kind of throwaway culture of of fast fashion and really kind of choosing more quality materials that are built to last, you know? So, yeah, I mean, in my book, I talk about this massively in terms of the consumer choices we're faced when it comes to everything. And obviously a big topic is clothing um, within what we purchase in our lifetime. So, and I think, a big thing that I always think is so important to admit for anyone is 
I personally don't like to use the word sustainable because I think it's been massively like misused and kind of warped and yep. changed and nothing right in the way that we consume new things is in theory Sust meeting the, no. the definition of sustainability. No. So I think it's been sullied. So yeah, for it's sure. It's a buzzword. It's a, and very it kind of easy really, for people to kind of use it and get away with it, actually. I think there's people cracking down on oh, it. Oh, for sure, but yeah. It's, yeah. And I think, too, it disregards people who are truly doing, like, actually yes. sustainable work, you know, or, yeah. like, more. And I think when you look at the closed loop of a business or all their practices or the sustainable practices, like, mm -hmm. you can't, in my opinion, kind of take on that kind of word without, like, you, you're saying that you are doing, applying it to every stage of... Mm -hmm. The, the manufacturing and processing and the afterlife of things. So, yeah, I mean, I always think of like the best way to describe like a closed loop is like waste equals energy and waste is never an end thing. And actually there's energy within that, whether that is compost, grow more, you know, plants, whether that's kind of um, upcycling something to be something mm -hmm. or if a material is the true definition of recycling. Like I think a big problem too is these kind of systems that were created somewhat corruptly, like the recycling system, you know, that was created by the plastics industry to make you believe that you could recycle your plastics at a time during the sort of 70s and 80s where plastics was beginning to be realized as actually not a good thing, but it had just had this boom of the industry. So it was like, oh, how do we create a, how do we solve this problem so people keep consuming plastic so that they think it can be recycled. But all plastic is mainly downcycled, not upcycled. I mean, not recycled. So yeah, I'm massively interested into the systems that exist within industries that playing with materials, mm -hmm. whether that's like you say, virgin material, recycled material, if it's a regenerative material, if it's a non-renewable kind of uh, resource and all those topics I <laughs> attempt to explain in my book, but it's a vast and huge thing. And yes. like, I'm interested in it because I'm fascinated mm -hmm. and curious in material, like with materials. How have, you, how have you got to, I mean, you, you speak so fluently in it. Mm -hmm. How have you got to that stage? I mean, <laughs> I, it comes with yeah. speaking with others and sharing yeah, knowledge exactly. and, you know, listening to the experts and, stuff, and yeah. the science, but it's, it's a lot to absorb, mm -hmm. isn't it? And I guess the book is something that breaks it down and makes these yeah. things digestible. And, turns it into something the everyday person can use and mm -hmm. is my understanding of the book yeah uh, but the um just to get to to a stage where you can translate that to somebody else that must mm -hmm. be been quite a quite yeah, a definitely. process yeah i think i mean you know in the book i'm my main thing is trying to make these large abstract to the every person in our lives more at a sort of scale that we can comprehend that's tangible and it relates to our life, not kind of this kind of thing that can be out of sight, out of mind, and therefore we maybe don't connect into doing those things. So, so yeah, it's about making those things applicable. So like these things, you know, big keywords like non-renewable, regenerative, like how does that yeah. relate to the, you know, the trousers I'm wearing? Like yeah. what does that mean? Mm -hmm or also the livelihoods that affects that trouser being made. Yep. So so I think with my book too, what was so important for me, there is no good or bad, there is no right or wrong when you're making decisions if you are thinking of the climate and people mm. in mind. It's not, unfortunately, as easy as that. It's There's so many more gray area, I think, within all these things. And that's what, I guess, made me be interested in it because I was like, 
how can I know more so that my decisions can be more informed and intentional? And I think at first you, you know, back in that moment, post Greenpeace trip, like wanting to do the right thing, you kind of think, oh, I've got to eradicate everything. And, mm. you know, I've only got to live this way. And then you're like, you know, what, actually that's very hard to do because there's so many systems that make it impossible to make yeah. the best perfect choice. And the book is really about mm. the idea that there is no perfect, you know, sustainable mm. choice with anything. It's like, you just need to know a bit more so you can make a better decision. Yeah. And so the book, all I'm trying to do is enable people to have more information and ideas so that they on their own can make the best decision that makes sense with their lifestyle. Yeah, and that's really key actually. There's not a blanket way for no. everybody to abide by. Yeah, and there's just not, you can't say things like, you know, you can't be like, it's awful, no one can drink out of a plastic water bottle, single mm. use plastic water bottle. Everyone needs to end them mm. forever, everywhere. But the reality is there's people who can't turn the tap on and drink clean yep. water. So how does that, that's a pure example of yep. there is no blanket way to tell someone. Mm. Well, it's like the, the argument for eating fish. Yeah. You know, you can't, and I think that's where Seaspiracy perhaps mm -hmm. fell short actually. And, um, and it was, Everyone stop eating fish. Yeah. The reality is that, you know, communities in island nations. And, yeah, exist uh, on that. And they have generations. Yeah. And yeah, that's, I mean, maybe we don't go on the fish route. I think <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but again, just the idea that mm -hmm. everyone is uniquely different and also exactly. people like yep. I'm interested in materials. Someone else might be like, yawn, that's boring. Yeah. I'm interested in something else. So play to your strengths. And, yeah, yeah, and play what, to like the joys that you to, like huh? to do, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's almost like the New Year's resolution thing when everyone tries to take on too much in, ja yeah. in January. And then you're like... And then you fall short. Yeah, and, and then you, you get feel really discouraged. upset. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah it's, it's small and many. Go and gently as the book. Go gently. <laughs> yeah. Okay, how long did it take to come to the title? <laughs> Actually, it kind <laughs> of came been a long standing mantra? Formed. It was like a weird, like, accumulation. And then it, like, I was like... Um... So yeah, that came quite early on, like with the pitch of the book as mm -hmm. I like began to pitch it to publishing companies, like when I, or even at the proposal level, I kind of, um, and each chapter in the book is go something. So like go mm -hmm. learn is the first one. Then there's like okay. go make, go cook, go beyond, go, there's everything is a go something. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's not out yet, it's out in April. No, very soon. I think about probably this goes live. Oh so cool, that yeah, the 19th cool. of April, there you it's go. out in the UK. In New Zealand, Australia, and America, and Canada. Amazing. Yeah. It was a bit, and I imagine again a journey to get to that. You must <laughs> yeah. Be, must be anxious, but proud. Like I don't even when the is actual it, is it finished day yet? comes out. Is oh it yeah, finished, yeah. Finished. Okay, done, cool. Done. Like I get to see the first copy of it next week, physical copy. Wow. Okay. Amazing. But yeah, it was. Um, I finished writing writing it in like August last year, and then it's just been all the design process yeah. of you know all of the layout, and there's a lot of illustrations and loads of photos in it. Yeah. Um, photos help. Yeah, like a cookbook. definitely help. Like, yeah, if, uh, but it's still no, a good no one cooks like a recipe 50, that hasn't got words, the picture. <laughs> so it's still, oh yeah, yeah. You need some break it up with my yeah. chat. But I'm gonna. I feel like yeah, when it actually comes out and people are reading it, it's gonna be kind of a nervous mm -hmm. day. In your first publication, right? Yeah, first ever book. Okay. Never thought I would ever have a book. Did was it was it all personal? Or was it someone kind of g you on to go? Hey, it's you all been personal. I mean, there's been different times over the years where people have kind of approached me with ideas mm -hmm. to write a book, but their idea of what I should write wasn't kind of right and suddenly I was like oh I know the angle that I want to 
kind of portray, which is yeah. this kind of angle of this kind of how do you how do you sustain making change without burning out at the reality of trying to like implement that? Like how do you make something obtainable, accessible, mm -hmm. and sustainable in the idea of like sustain over time these actions? Yeah. Not like you say, give yourself all these New Year's resolutions and then fail at them and then no. kind of walk away. Yeah, and we all, uh, we've we've been doing a journey. You know, we've been on something the last kind of couple of years when it comes to activism, ocean activism, mm -hmm. and trying to empower as many people who can to do mm -hmm. what they can. And yeah. so we, we we kind of look at it as there's this scale between like mm -hmm. someone starting out mm -hmm. and someone who lives in you know Bristol in the UK and just wants to do a little bit more in their to their coffee shop and eradicate plastic straws, mm -hmm. right? And to a radical activist, you might be on a Greenpeace vessel, yeah. or might be on a Sea Shepherd mm -hmm. boat, or might be, you know, doing. So there's there's a scale for people to to to. I think you can work up that dial as little or as much as you want, but mm -hmm. it's definitely something that everybody can do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the um, um, I was going to ask you where the man from Go Gently came from. That's, that's kind of, we've done that. Yeah, um, the um. Uh, actually, it's quite a nice kind of segue onto that. Is um, there are lots of tools now for people to use to get involved, to do things differently, mm -hmm. and to clean up their their own personal act, or to start buying better. Or, mm -hmm. but um, in the digital world where we've got Instagrams, and mm -hmm. I know you've got the YouTube channel, mm -hmm. and these are great tools that sit in the public domain that people can learn and educate from, and but. Um, and then I'm just trying to think what other tools we have. I mean, everybody as a, as a, as a consumer has the kind of power of choice and mm -hmm. spending kind of power and, you know, how we how people choose to invest their money. Yeah. I know you got, yeah, so I know you've got, you've got a pretty hefty Instagram account mm -hmm. yourself, for example. How do, how do people start using these things themselves to mm -hmm. make a difference or to inform three or five other friends or to... Yeah, I think it's like we all have these... There are so many tools yes. that I think sometimes can be almost distracting because there's yeah. so many yeah. and like diluted, right? I mean, like, you know, even in my own kind of inner world, I can think like, oh, is this is too much that I've kind of started the YouTube and I have the Instagram and different things. But to me, they answer parts of me that mm. I like to use. Like the reason, main reason I started the YouTube is because I missed making films because I'd been writing for so long. And I was like, oh, I just want to make some things that... I like that method of storytelling. And to me, it felt like it could be a bit more longer form. It could be a bit more intimate. It could be a yeah. bit more interactive. Yeah. At a time where my relationship to Instagram felt like it was just becoming like a sort of resharing news channel rather than like people truly dropping into concentrating yeah. and watching and listening. And I think with all of us, like our interest in all these platforms ebbs and flows. Sometimes we love it and sometimes we don't want anything to do with it. So I think it's individual. It's so individual. Yeah. And I think if you are trying to harness or use those platforms mm -hmm. to share with friends, like kind of mobilize or whatever you want to do, mm -hmm. I think you also can't allow it to be the only place you do that because yeah. they aren't. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, as human beings, we like to see like, kind of quite direct cause and effect of our actions. Quite used to assuming that we need to see like progress or change like 
in front of our eyes. But those types of platforms sometimes are kind of hard to equate. Is anything I'm saying on this thing doing anything? Like, because okay. just how it is. Whereas I think if you actually connect firsthand with people, have conversations, mm -hmm. they tell their friend, then you will meet up and you decide to go to a rally, a beach cleanup, that you can see in front of your eyes. It's yeah. like, oh, like we actually all just went to that thing. Yeah. Whereas sometimes those platforms, while great, I think they have to be done in tandem with real life things. Cause yeah. I think sometimes you can feel like it's a kind of echo chamber or a void of things and you can't quite get like dialogue back. But then on the flip side of that, I've met some of the most interesting people within the climate movement through Instagram, Yeah, you know, and I had amazing conversations with them through DMs or on an actual Instagram live, or, you know, there's about 14, 15 people I interview in the book, in my book, and most of those people I met through Instagram kind of conversations, so. I guess the last two years. Yeah, and exactly, and for so many to... people, and for a lot of people still, they might not live in yeah. a major city, and that doesn't mean yeah. that they want to, but they still want to mm -hmm. connect to people. And the digital thing does make it far more global. Oh my gosh, yeah, right. I mean, the fact that we can, watch stories online of mm -hmm. someone firsthand somewhere where a flood is happening yeah. somewhere where a fire is happening like yeah. that type of material sharing and mobilizing is like unreal for yeah. so many people yeah yeah we've um i mean that yeah exactly that the last two years have been a struggle but in many ways there's been it's been a lot of um I mean, you're talking like online conferences and, yeah. you know, it's it's put a stopper on travel for better mm -hmm. or for worse. Yeah. Um, but the face-to-face -face action and the community kind of integration yeah. and the way people get together and can really get together is important. And sometimes those community things can be online. I mean, that could be a group of five people who exactly, have a yeah. Zoom every month to yeah. chat about what they want to do. Yeah. And they're just like, so it's a bit more kind of like a meetup rather than just, texting as mm. the you know sometimes that kind of dm text post can be thrown out there whereas an actual in real time for 20 minutes with someone on a call can sometimes like just make you feel kind of better i think or like seen or heard or whatever that may be yes yeah um and and back to the book actually so mm. We've actually published a few things over the last couple of years, which was about the ways in which people can map their own personal kind of, yeah, again, journey into these things mm -hmm. and you know, document and take note and almost measure their impact and stuff. So is that a part of what you've got coming out? Is it a, or is it a, um, yeah, is it, does that, is it? Yeah, kind of I mean, I think sometimes, I think we all have different like ways and brains we like to do things. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I'm someone who likes organizing things, making lists, you know, having this kind of goal, kind of not always this sort of big goal, but I'm always kind of on a kind of track. You know, some people, while my mind still flits around, I think we all have different ways that makes things more manageable or applicable, you know? So there is a chapter that is all about kind of organizing our time that gives us more freedom in the end so or also organizing our time say for our week ahead knowing that many people have so many things in their lives that can make sure that they can be implementing these changes they want to do in the week they have ahead so that it's manageable and sustainable and attainable in that way to like sustain it over the week so that 
they can keep up with it. And again, going back to this thing of like starting small with just a couple of things and trying to do those well, rather than trying to change the world in a week and, and discovering quite quickly that it's, it's very impossible to do so. Yeah. So yeah, there's very much a bit about kind of organizing time and sort of celebrating those wins when, or like senses of achievement that you yes. feel when you do do something and you're like, that was great and I actually enjoyed it. Yeah. And knowing, before you move on to the next yeah thing. and knowing like oh cool that's i'll just keep doing that then for a while rather than load something on again and again so yeah there's a chapter kind of about organization of personal time yeah mm -hmm. and how to like implement these things and this might be a bit on the spot but what, what would be like three three things or mm -hmm. quick easy fire no-brainer tips for people, and I guess there's stuff that is around the house. Mm -hmm. I imagine stuff is about how we might come to travel, or yeah. what would be kind of three top. Oh, I think it's so hard because I think I a big thing I say in the book is you know take an issue you care about and intersect yep. it with an area in your home you love to be in or you like you find joy in. So for me, when I started, I was deeply concerned for ocean health and single-use plastics. Yep. I love to cook and being in the kitchen, so I intersected those and I started by looking at single-use plastic packaging and then packaging in general within my kitchen environment. Yeah. So it was like manageable, it was easy. I, I love to be in that space. It wasn't somewhere I was like, oh God, I don't like cleaning out my wardrobe or oh, I don't like changing my laundry or cleaning habits, but I loved the kitchen. So it was yeah. like, oh, this is really fun. Like I'm beginning to see, I'm putting less in the bin and or Oh, and suddenly now into composting and wow, like all that food waste that's not going in the bin and now I'm like doing something with it. So I think in each space, there's like a couple of things, right? So in your kitchen, it could be, you know, food waste. It could be kind of choosing to cook things from more whole foods, like whole food ingredients so that it isn't processed and overly packaged and therefore immediately begin to lower your, you know, single use packaging consumption whether that's kind of looking to where the produce is grown. Was that organic? Was it regenerative? Like those kind of things, or how far did it come to travel to get to you? Mm -hmm. They could be some topics in the kitchen. And then some people might love beauty and they start in their bathroom and they love makeup and they love, you know, those kind of products. So I think it's so hard to give like a blanket, mm -hmm. like couple of suggestions. No, but I get but, what, I, I was yeah. kind of painted a picture for me how that, that you say that intersection mm -hmm. between something you love and really care for, and yeah. that, which makes, applying it in practice yeah. easier i guess and then yeah. you mentioned there again another theme throughout this week has been like if these things are fun yeah then you'll if you can make them, them fun or you know yeah. or, play or playful again like yeah far easier achieved and the second chapter in the book is called uh, go see and it basically does this it kind of walks through every area in your home and it uses this kind of um exercise basically of what i kind of first kind of did myself, which I just called an inventory table, where I was like, okay, I'm gonna start in the kitchen and I'm gonna, people kind of use it when they say a rubbish order or a trash order, you do kind of similar thing. You take out five pieces from your rubbish bin and you sort of identify what they are. So I kind of applied that to, you know, your bedroom. You could take yeah. out yeah. a jumper, candle by your bed, notebook and pen, pair of jeans and socks and you just look at the environment environmental impact of those things mm -hmm. just as a kind of exercise like yep. oh whoa I hadn't even thought where's this cotton from or like oh this is interesting I did buy this second hand that's mm -hmm. cool or like oh I could have bought those 
you know, leggings in a natural fiber. Then when I wash them, I'm not going to shed microplastics. So that's kind of an exercise where it helps you to look at like what's already at play in your home and how to kind of look at the backstory behind each object rather than like the whole kitchen at once or the whole whatever at once. Yeah. We mentioned, we've mentioned plastic a few times and I know mm -hmm. it's, I mean, you could do a whole show on plastic <laughs> yeah. pollution and it's something that feel like, um, I mean, and, you, and you're, you've been an incredible spokesperson for mm -hmm. plastic pollution and the plight of our oceans when it comes to that. And I guess, and to speaks to the Greenpeace kind mm -hmm. of um, voyage. You say yeah. voyage, you went sure. on? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, where we are in the States right now as well, mm -hmm. and you go into the supermarket, it feels like it is a, it's going to be a massive thing to eradicate. Mm -hmm. And there's still a lot of teaching and learning and uh, kind of education around even that as a subject, plastic pollution yeah. and single use. Mm -hmm. I had this chat yesterday again, you know, plastic used correctly is an amazing oh, yeah. thing. What, like it's done for many yeah. different industries. That exactly. is something definitely life-saving like high it's, properties yeah, for sure exactly. i mean it's but again it's the how many uses your it's yes. the durability of that yeah. plastic and if it's like designed to be you know touched emptied of something and instantly thrown away you know you could touch a piece of plastic for less than a minute yeah in its use and it's done you yes, know yeah. whether that's drinking a coffee with that's mm -hmm. whatever that may be but i think you know it goes back to that kind of idea of like you can't say let's eradicate single-use plastic bottles everywhere. There's water to drink, and then you're discounting millions of people do not have access to clean water. So I think when it comes to single-use plastic packaging in the food and beverage industry, because that's one of the biggest single-use kind of, you know, makers of, of that, you just, like, to connect the, like, petrochemical industry, the fossil fuel industry mm -hmm. with the plastic industry and just seeing how married they are to mm -hmm. one another is... is is really where we need to focus the energy on because yes, we can each do what we can in our day-to-day -day life. And you, while that is definitely a part of the book, there are some things that you will find like you just hit a wall with because there's no other option out there for most people to shift to buying bulk things, buying something in a better material that's inherently more expensive. Like there, most people are up against accessibility and cost when it comes to anything so the only way a lot of those things can change is the big corporate companies which is so much of greenpeace's work the cola the coca-colas the pepsis the procter gamble they change because like that's where the majority of the world and population is buying their things from so and and it also needs to happen on the fringes of society of great brands making great new things because mm -hmm. as those brands are able to put in these concepts for refill places amazing plant-based materials all these things that will filter through because then the coca-colas the whatever if they really want to do anything will hire those type of people who've been doing that groundwork to come yeah. into those companies so I think it's just like multi-pronged approach. Because the smart people approach. and the science and the yeah, know-how is there already. They're there. Many, they're 100% there. And yeah. the power and money behind those big companies yeah. is 100% there. It yeah. just comes down to the horrible reality of those companies being driven mm -hmm. by the bottom line. Yeah. Virgin plastic is cheaper than recycled materials yes. most of the time. You know what Which I mean? is then where our kind of power is consumers becomes completely yeah. and it's uh, and I think it's so important and I ha like took me a while to be like that's okay 
-hmm. Like when you're trying to be empowered and make all these right choices. It's okay sometimes to be like, you know what, I'm actually kind of powerless with this. Yes. Okay. And while I can for sure advocate and do what I can, it's okay that like I've gone to the supermarket today and I'm stuck with this choice or I'm in a rush right now and this is the, like, that's human. Mm -hmm. Otherwise this kind yeah. of like black and white is yeah, to me, you can't like, beat yourself up. You can't, otherwise it's like counterproductive. And yes. like focus on something else yeah. you did that day that felt good. There's other things, you yeah. know. Yeah. So, I mean, have you had any kind of really big challenges in the last few years when it comes to this? Is, is, there, is there stuff that you, I, I know in the in this in the fight for oh, planetary health, mm -hmm. is it? And the people who've been doing it for decades upon decades, you must feel sometimes you're just hitting your head against a wall, just constantly or butting heads with you know, policymakers or mm -hmm. these, um, actually how far down the kind of, to that pointy end of things do you actually go in, in your work at the moment? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think through the course of like writing my book recently have probably like, and just that like, there's not, there's less like direct action that often is about like policy or mm -hmm. challenging corporations has been less happening in real yeah. life. I've definitely like not done as much as that. And it's been kind of nice to sort of step back a lot of that feels quite like front facing and quite like aggressive, which it should. Yes. And sometimes the kind of like, you know, what, actually I'm just gonna like look after the things that I care about and the people that my actions ripple out to because mm -hmm. each of us, as we make changes that ripples out to and is impressionable to people around us. So I've been trying to kind of focus a bit more on that to kind of recharge, I guess, and like make sure that I, don't give up and I keep going. And I think a lot of people naturally do ebb and flow between that, like going out there into the world and then needing to kind of recuperate and have a kind of winter in their own yeah. metaphorical way. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of been what I've been doing. And naturally, as we all have, we've all gone inward, we've all gone home, we've all been less kind of out there. Um, I definitely feel like I'm like ready to kind of get back out there again, but I think also a huge, massive thing that's happened in the last few years for s the world is this kind of very, very needed and important shift and reawakening of like civil rights and and the intersection of these climate issues and how they cannot be ignored. Like marginalized community, people of color cannot be ignored in this dialogue when actually most true land protectors out there you know, are people doing it because it is part of their yeah. inherent culture to take care and steward their land. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's been a massive kind of learning process and kind of challenge that we should, I should feel as a white British yeah. person to be kind of really kind of really go inward and, and see where I've experienced privilege when it comes to these issues, when mm -hmm. it's even come to my accessibility to education around these issues. And I saw the uh, Leah Thomas, mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah. Leah book in, yeah. on, your, on your table there, mm -hmm. which of course, um, she had an incredible amount of um, traction yeah, yeah, back when her, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, and intersectional environmentalist hurts. That's the book, yeah. Organization and movement. And so, yeah. yeah, and the beauty again of going back to Instagram, the joy I've had of just expanding my conversations with people mm. and expanding, you know, perspectives and identities of, you know, whether that's, I mean, there's just 
there's just so I mean and I think that's also beautiful for people who want to get involved and maybe it's very much through their identity as a queer person as a whatever that could be there are now just so many groups that exist online yeah. or in real life that don't just they're not just a climate group they're yeah. a su- climate and something group. yeah with uh, with their own take or flavor or yeah. do you know what I mean it's um and interests and yeah. just being seen and heard and comfortable because I think a big reality is sometimes joining a group having a conversation with someone can be intimidating mm-hmm. when you are worried like am I going to say the right thing at this yeah. event or meetup yeah. so I think the minute you can make and allow someone to be seen by someone else they see doing it mm-hmm. the more likely they're oh that person is like me yeah. I can do that and yeah. so it like enables people I think to have a bit more of a kind of road in and I think that's what I've loved so much from the feedback that I've even got through using the platform of social media for these things is the amount of times in the comments like you know most obviously a lot of people obviously follow me because of Harry Potter so they'll watch that and be like oh I've been following you because of this but now you've just introduced me to this and I like what you do so now I'm doing that too like there's just a reality that we we look up to people around us and we're more likely to be like open to trying ourselves if someone that we've given kind of love and authority to to like agree with so it's just always been so fun to have this platform that's like introduce people to something that they may have not have been in their mainstream of their feed let's yeah. say which is where you know social media as a tool is in you know we can get we all get jaded by it don't mm-hmm. we and it's we can put it down and go god i've been on that it's too awful. much yeah, yeah it's <laughs> awful and, you know and it's used in, in in the wrong way by many people and and you know it, yeah but it's also really really it is a source of information yeah and as a connectivity and it's yeah. something that like and back to what i said earlier like it's one of the most powerful tools we do have now yeah um and, and if used correctly mm-hmm. it can be an amazing ally in the, particularly yeah, in the climate climate movement and um and that yeah wow okay yeah, I wanted to talk about your, um, again, your relationship with the ocean. Because mm-hmm. you mentioned, when we were speaking earlier, you said that um, you'd grown up with uh, access to the coast and yeah. down in the south of, of mm-hmm. the UK and where you are in relation to it here and you surf. Yeah. You have a surfing career? <laughs> yeah, I don't have a surfing career. <laughs> Just uh, my own hobby. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I've always, you know, I grew up in the heart of London, right in the city in Shoreditch. And, but my parents, you know, we had a house and have still have a house on, on the south coast of England. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'd go leave school on Friday and go to the beach pretty yeah, much, wow, okay. you know, every weekend. So we had this very city urban life. And then we had this complete different life where we had this expansive beach where the tide went out really far and it's miles long and this yeah, whole area stretched home, huh? yeah before me and it was this playground of just like losing myself in that environment and i think you know i didn't realize really how much that kind of really and yeah just kind of inspired me and made me who i was made kind of where i find most peace and creativity is by the water i find Mm-hmm. The minute I can see a horizon that's not broken up by buildings, I feel like instantly like better and just feel like everything feels like expansive and possible for me when I have the kind of ocean environment in my life. Um, and honestly, when I moved to L.A., like the main reason for me was because I wanted to be by the water. I mean, yes, it's a great city for the entertainment industry, but genuinely it was a 
more selfish. Like, I love the idea that I could live somewhere where I can surf in the morning and then, you know, work on a project with someone that same day and yeah. be in an urban kind of areas yeah. too. So I've always been interested in, yeah, I guess cities on the coast. Um, and obviously Pacific Ocean's very different than the English Channel, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say at the moment where we've been, it's not too dissimilar at the moment yeah, in, in water temperature. But oh yeah, I mean it's uh, always yeah, cold. The North, yeah, the North Sea of the English Channel. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I, I mean, I first surfed when I was like seven or eight down in Cornwall, and then my mum's family side of the family all live in Australia, so I'd sometimes, you know, surf there once every two years, but not yeah. really ever to the point where I was doing anything. And then when I moved to California, yeah, five years ago, I then like actually- Daily ritual. Got into it. And then, but I've ebbed and flowed in like how much I surf, kind of changes towards like what's happening else in my life. And it's been a bit cold and it's been a bit not that great over this winter. Um, but down here is great in the summer in San Diego, so I can't wait. And yeah, I just have met so many people surfing and, you know, feel like, I don't know, I just like, I mean, my favorite place to be is in the water and mm -hmm. feel like it's, what I love about surfing is, it's like a communal experience because there are other people surfing, whether they are friends or not, but it's a very like solitary experience, the relationship yeah. I think you have with waves and with, Time the spent ocean, immersed in the yeah, sea. and like time can just absolutely stretch and expand, and you can yeah. be in the water for hours without realizing it. And I think what I love about surfing is, unlike some other sports I've been interested in, it's like the least com well. The way I see it is like, and the way the people I put myself around, they don't see it as like a competitive thing. And I think you know, a wave can come by, and you can decide, oh, I don't want that wave, or a wave can come, and like, oh yeah, that's my one. And I feel like it's more it's quite like reflective of how I'd like to like take my day yeah. that it doesn't need to be like, I need to climb a mountain or however other different kind of mentalities sometimes can happen with other sports. Yeah. I like that like surfing can like, you can just oh, it decide. change session to session. Doesn't yeah. It? And it's just like, there's no wave that literally will ever be the same. No. And I think it's just such a, and I think just the ocean's energy is like, whoa, I'm so small in the world. Well, there's something and we could go very deep on that and the fact this energy travels all the way across open yeah, ocean exactly. starts with wind generation yeah. forms swell through mm -hmm. fetch and then arrives and that energy dis dissipates on the shoreline somewhere yeah and but there's it's definitely still people like who think that energy will, is then transferred to the mm -hmm. to the surfer yeah it's something um, and i think how memory you know and like being so much of water ourselves and how water can hold memory i feel like yes, yeah. yeah i mean there's just so many like mystical elements to the ocean that I love. It's pretty potent, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I surfed dreadful, dreadful San Onofre yesterday. Oh, yeah. And... I drove uh, past it the other day and it was like so blown out. Yeah, well, this was it. So yeah, it's windy. We were with Chad at Surfrider mm -hmm. and he said, um, yeah, no, this is normally pretty classy. <laughs> I was there the other then, week. I just got a new surfboard and I went to christen it in the, yeah. uh, and it was like a perfect day. Was it? Okay. Well, I could see. Summer there is the like potential. great. It's not like, you know, to get, I feel like right now you want to be north, right? Okay. Like the best places to be are like, like from LA, I remember in the winter you'd go up to like Ventura and stuff. But yeah. down here it's like not, but down here it's good in the summer. Yeah. 
Well, I got classic British Cornwall blustery. <laughs> yeah, windy, you like waves, I brought which the Which I can waves. handle. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, um, but uh, you're like, oh, this is a good day. This yeah. is great. Just means I have to come back. So yeah, you will. There are, and there's just so yeah, it's just all up and down this coastline. There are so many, and California, as you've experienced on yeah. this trip, is like so massively different from north to south. Gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, thank you, and I think yeah. we'll go maybe try get. In the water somewhere. See some water. So, uh, yeah, we'll go gently. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Bonnie. Well, I hope you enjoyed that one. A massive thanks to Bonnie, who was so willing with her time and able to show us around. Also for shaking off and moving past the Harry Potter icebreaker pun I made when we first arrived. Safe to say that part of Bonnie's life feels very much in the rear view for all the right reasons as she indeed goes gently with her new direction, establishing herself as one of the more influential people in the climate movement and conversation, where we need more people like Bonnie with reach, empathy and a new energised way of approaching these topics. I would highly recommend grabbing a copy of Go Gently, packed with takeaways for each of us as to what we can all do in our day-to-day lives to lessen our impact on the planet and better our own output. Which brings us to the end of our Californian omnibus. A massive thanks to all our guests who played host to us, who showed us around local surf and swim spots, and who shared their stories with us. We'll be back again next month with more tales and insights from a roster of inspirational people as we continue to explore and uncover the theme of human resilience and the many spaces people occupy across our ocean. In the meantime, head into the ever-growing library of episodes to keep listening. A thanks to Gareth at Chatterbox Audio for helping us stitch the show together. Sound designed by CJ Mirror. If you are listening via the usual podcast platforms, subscribe to be the first to know about future episodes. And we'll see you next time.